Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5. Let's uh, pray and get started here then. Lord, as we just come to you now, thankful to be here, thankful just to have the study here into your word on what these offerings mean and how they represent you and us, Lord. And just pray your spirit would teach tonight and always and all things. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in your name. Amen. I want to start with a little bit of a backtrack from last week. There's a couple questions asked last week, which I thought were very, very good, and I wanted to get a little bit more information about them before we moved on here. So if you weren't with us last week and you don't know what we're talking about, you can grab a copy of the CD, and if not, you may remember some of these questions. Uh, somebody asked last week about the Job offering sacrifices for his sons back in Job 1, and I went back and I read on that a little bit there, and as soon as I started reading it, it I should have remembered this last week. Uh, the book of Job actually predates the uh, Levitical law. And so Job, as he predates the Levitical law and the patriarchal system, Job also represented the priest, if you will, of that family. So by Job offering sacrifices for his sons, he's also fulfilling a priestly role. Same thing like with Noah when he got off the ark there. So just a little bit of information back on that. Someone also asked, too, about how busy was the temple during sacrifices. A little bit of history here on that. David, in the history books, took the priesthood and divided it up into 24 shifts. 24 shifts of priests. Each priest served for a week. So if you were a priest, you would serve one week, and you would do that, and then you'd go back and go back to your house and farm, etc. Well, each one of these shifts had about 1,300 people working at a time. About 1,300 people working at a time. So David set this up. There would be about 1,300 people working at the temple at a time, and they were broken down into 24 shifts. Each shift lasted one week. Now, the amount of sacrifices obviously increased. If you remember correctly, in the tabernacle, the old burnt offering place, and we showed a picture of that, was 7 by 7 and 4 foot high. So 7 foot by 7 foot and 4 foot high. When Solomon built the temple, he increased the size of the altar to 30 by 30 and 15 foot high. So to put that in perspective, 30 by 30, I measured this out today uh, when no one was here. You go from the wall over there to about this chair right here. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, right where Andy's at. Andy, raise your hand. Thank you, Andy. That's how big. No, keep your hand up. All service. All service. Thank you. That's how big. Now stand 15 foot high. Um, that's how big the burnt offering was back then. It was 30 by 30 and 15 foot high. So you had uh, roughly 1,300 people working a shift. You had a 30 by 30, 15 foot high. And Solomon also increased the amount of utensils, if you will, too. He made 10 lampstands instead of one, 10 labors instead of one, because the amount of sacrifices were increasing. So just wanted to give a little bit more information back on some of those questions that were asked last week. Good questions, and just wanted to give a little bit more background about that. So you can see how as time went on, the utensils they used and everything that worked with the sacrifices increased, too, to meet the demands of what was going on going on at that time. So, with that being said, we're up to our last sacrifice here tonight. And our last sacrifice is in Leviticus 5. It's the trespass offering, or depending on your translation, the guilt offering. Now, if you haven't been with us, this is what we're doing. We're going through the different sacrifices, and we just go through the first time and present the facts of it. These are just the pure facts of it. And once that's done, we come back and talk about how it relates to us and how it's a picture of Christ. And it's always important to note, I encourage you to go read Hebrews 9, 10, and 11 to get a real feel on what the sacrifices are, how they're a picture of Christ, and how they're such a wonderful picture of our salvation in the Lord. So we've gone through the first four sacrifices, and now we're up to the trespass or the guilt uh, sacrifice here. Verse 14 of Leviticus 5, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, 
If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks, with their valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekels of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing. And he shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandment of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it. And it shall be forgiven him. If his trespass offering, he has certainly trespassed against the Lord. Now, this is kind of an interesting sacrifice. This sacrifice is... You did something wrong, and it was kind of an unintentional thing. It comes to your attention of what it is. You need to go offer the sacrifice, and you need to first go offer the sacrifice of ram. And as always, the ram has to be without spot or blemish. That's an ongoing theme here. I'm not surprising anybody. It's a picture of Christ being the perfect sacrifice. So you had to go offer this ram. But this one gets a little interesting. You have to offer offer this ram, but you also, in verse 15, whatever you did wrong, the monetary value of what you did, broke, or what have you, you had to then also repay back that. Plus, you had to go one step further. You had to, in verse 16, add 20% to the value of it. Now, this starts to almost sound like our modern-day legal system here. Somebody's been wronged, and so now they are fined for this. You have to replace the value of what happened, plus you have to go 20% beyond that. This is an offering with restitution. And this offering is a lot like the sin offering when it actually comes down to the nuts and bolts of it. Jump ahead to chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. In its blood, he shall sprinkle all around the altar. We went through that last week. He shall offer from all of its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the kidneys, on and on about the fat right there. And it should be burned on the altar, verse 5. It's a lot like the sin offering. Verse 6, every male among the priests may eat it and shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law from the both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. So basically, what happened for the sin offering also happens for the trespass offering. They're very, very similar. The main difference between the trespass offering and the sin offering is you have this monetary value that you have to pay a fine with, if you will. Now you may be thinking, okay, what would have to happen for me to have to do this offering. Well, verse 1 of chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has exhorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, and any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. So this is sinning with also some type of harm done to something. Um, you let me borrow your hammer. And as I'm borrowing your hammer, I really like your hammer. So I keep your hammer. You come back and say, hey, where's my hammer? Hey, I lost your hammer. Sorry about that. Well, find out later I'm guilty. This offering is also called the guilt offering. I feel guilty about it. So I go to you and I say, hey, I took your hammer. Then I lost it. I'm sorry about that. I, I damaged the property you gave me. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so I would go to the priest. I'd offer up my ram. I would offer you the value of the hammer, and plus I'd pay 20% past that. Or if you are giving me something to watch, uh, a safekeeping, it says, or a pledge, or I stole something, verse 2, I find something and I lie about it, you say, hey, James, have you seen my hammer? I was using it the other day over around the tree, and I can't find it, and I found your hammer and I stole it. 
Those type of things right there. Verse 3, and swears falsely, as it says. Verse 4, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty, hence guilt offering, that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has exhorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he has found, or all above which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value and add one-fifth more to it, and give it to him wherever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. So I have to make the full value, return it, and then add one-fifth to it, 20% to it. So that's the uh, trespass offering, also known as the guilt offering. I lie about something, I steal something, I lose something and lie about it, I swear falsely about it, I have to either replace the value of it, replace the item, and i got to pay this 20% penalty on top of it, and then I have to offer a ram up because of my sin that goes along with it. And the ram is offered the same way as the sin offering was last week, with the fat and the blood, etc. So... Kind of an interesting offering there. And uh, it's one of those that you can see what's called the guilt offering. You feel bad. This is something you've done wrong to another person. Yeah, you've sinned against the Lord by sinning, but you've also hurt another person in the process of this. And that's why you have to make restitution to go back and make it right to the person that you have wronged or that you've hurt. Now, before we get into the spiritual side of this, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about the physical side of this, of what this actually means, the restitution process, and what would happen. Yeah, Marcus. Well, I think that's the point, is when you find out that you've done it now, it's one of those things where, okay, hey, maybe I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe I borrowed something from you, and then I forgot that I borrowed it from you, and you come back a few months later and say, hey, where's my hammer? And I've totally lost your hammer. I was misusing your property. I can't find it again. I would then make restitution, and it was an unintentional thing there. So it's kind of a cover-all of a lot of different things there. John? Right. You're saying right now, you did things before you got saved that you're not proud of. Now you get saved and you want to make restitution. Right. You know, what I would say to that is actually the best example I saw, and it was just in the men's study book, and I think it was under the chapter of integrity. And what happened in the men's study book, the guy gave this example of he saw an ad in the newspaper, and maybe some of you remember this from the men's study, where he came out in this ad in the newspaper and said his name and said, I'm now born again, I'm now saved. And he comes and says, if I have wronged you in any way in the past through a business matter, here's my telephone number, contact me or my office, and I will make full restitution to what I've done to you to, to make things right. I think of also the example of, um, who was in the New Testament? Of Zacchaeus. Remember when Zacchaeus got saved? Zacchaeus came back, and if I remember correctly, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to restore fourfold, not just the 20%. Zacchaeus came back and said, if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to go back and restore them fourfold. So to answer your question, I think you have to let the Lord lead on a uh, unique basis there. I know for some of us, if we went back and tried to make a restitution to every person we wronged, we would never get along any forward in life because you'd constantly be going back. I firmly believe that this is called the guilt offering also because now living in the New Testament, if the Holy Spirit puts conviction on your heart of, hey, you wronged that person, you need to go back and make restitution, I think the Lord will lead you. So to answer your question, can you say that every person you've wronged, you have to go back and make restitution? Well, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the way I look at it. But if the Lord lays a specific instance on your heart, yeah, I think you need to go back and say, as a new born-again believer in Christ, I want to make this right, and I may not be able to make this right at this time, but I know I was wrong, and I will work towards that. And it's actually a great witnessing tool. So, But you have to remember, 
The key thing with any of these sacrifices is you're made right with God first. Hence that ram being offered. That ram being offered has nothing to do with the restitution process. That ram being offered takes care of the sin that you did towards God. The restitution is a secondary thing that happens there. The ram is the key component here because it makes peace with God over the sin that we did. The restitution is something that we build on after that. With that being said, what's the New Testament example of this? Flip, if you will, to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. Matthew 5. <clears throat> I think this is actually one of the simplest sacrifices to, to see the New Testament application of. Matthew 5. Alrighty, Matthew 5, and uh, go ahead here and start in verse 21. It says that you have heard that it was said of, to those of old, you should not murder. Whoever murders will be danger of the judgment. But, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be danger of the hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What this passage is saying is you're trying to have this right relationship with the Lord, and God says, I want that right relationship with you. He goes, but... Part of your witness is your relationships with others. And so therefore, if someone has something against you, you have a biblical responsibility to go to that person and to try to offer them that idea of peace, of I am sorry for what I did. I am sorry for what I am. And back in Leviticus 5, they're actually talking literal monetary restitution. I believe now in the New Testament example is there is the spiritual restitution too. I can tell you this, after I got saved, I can distinctly remember contacting certain people after I got saved, calling them up and saying, I just want to let you know, I'm sorry and for doing X, Y, Z here. I'm now a Christian. I'm now born again. And I want to let you know, I'm sorry for that. I remember distinctly some of them not knowing what to say or how to respond to that. But at that time, I felt like I needed to contact them and make some type of spiritual restitution to them person to person. I had been made right in God. I'm born again in a new creation in Christ. But, verses 23 and 24, I knew they had something against me, so I wanted to go and be made reconciled to them. So, nowadays, today, I would hope as Christians that if something would happen and you're using a physical item of a believer and something would happen to it, you would have the honesty to say, hey man, broke your hammer, sorry about that. What can I do to help make it right? And, you know, obviously as brothers and sisters in Christ, it would hopefully be no big deal. Or if it's somebody from the world, what a great way to have a witnessing opportunity to say, I'm not going to be deceitful about this. I want to make it right. I'm sorry about that. But yet also there's the spiritual side of it too, where if you have in your heart that guilt because you realize this person has something against me, I want to go make it right to them. You contact them and you say, I want to let you know I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for the way I acted. And I would tell you this, you have to remember constantly, when it comes to telling somebody you're sorry, it is not your responsibility to make them accept your apology. It's just your responsibility to give the apology. So often I have someone call me up and say, well, I told them I'm sorry, and they didn't accept it. That's between them and God. You went to go make your heart right with them. If they choose not to accept your apology, that's between them and the Lord. They're supposed to forgive you. You just have a responsibility to go and say that you're sorry. You're trying to make restitution. You're trying to build the bridge. If they choose to accept or to reject that, that's between them and God. Same thing flip-flopped. Somebody comes to you and says that they're sorry, they're clean in that matter. You have to decide whether you're going to forgive them or not. Which takes us to our next passage. Can you go to Ephesians uh, 4, please? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. This is a nice New Testament example of putting this all together. Ephesians 4, verse 25. 
Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sin go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here's the key, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. In a perfect body of Christ world, we've done something wrong. I would, I would stop what I'm doing, go to my brother or sister in the Lord and say, I've wronged you. I'm sorry for that. That's the guilt offering, the trespass offering. And then the great response to that back would be Ephesians 4.32. The kind thing is to say, I forgive you. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. Freely forgiving, freely loving, and freely saying, I'm sorry. This guilt trespass offering is an offering that kind of focuses on us a little bit more rather than on Christ. Don't get me wrong. He's there. That's the ram being offered, that pure spotless ram that takes away the sin of the lying or the deceitfulness or the thievery, what have you. That ram takes away the sin. But God says, yes, now that I've taken away your sin, what are you going to do now to your brothers and sisters that you have wronged to help make peace and to make restitution? Because the point is, if you've gone to the Lord and freely asked for forgiveness, and he's freely forgiven you for what you've done, well, then the next step is now to go to that person that you've wronged and tell them, I'm sorry. And sometimes I see it in the body of Christ. I've seen people come up to me and say, I know I'm wrong. I've told God I'm wrong. I've made my peace with him. But I'm never going to go to that person and tell them I'm sorry. But wait a second here. It's pretty hard to make your peace with the Lord while still harboring that anger and bitterness. I mean, look at these words one more time here in verse 31 of Ephesians 4. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. God says, that's not of me. Get rid of that. So, present day thing is, I've wronged somebody. I go to God and tell him I'm sorry. That's me offering up the ram. And now the restitution is me going to that member of the body of Christ or even of the world and saying, I've wronged you and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Just as Christ forgave me, I ask that you'd forgive me. Or if you're on the flip side, just as Christ forgave me, I want, you, I want to forgive you. That is what the guilt offering, the trespass offering is. And here's the truth of the matter. Of all the offerings, I think this is one of the simplest ones to see the application of, but I think this is probably one of the toughest ones to put into practice. Because if you go back and look at these, okay, burn offering, Okay, that's me offering my whole self up to the Lord. Okay, I got that one. Grain offering, that's service. Yep, I got that one. I can serve. Peace offering, that's worship. Got that one. Sin offering, picture of Jesus. Got that one. Guilt trespass offering, that's me saying I'm sorry. Ah, do you know what they did to me? Boy, we have a hard time with that restitution thing. That restitution. We have a hard time with that. But part of restitution is accepting the consequences of our actions. You know, in the 11 years I've been out here at church, I've had many, many opportunities to go visit people in jail and people in prison over the years. Many, many opportunities. And I can count with you on one hand how many of them were truly sorry for what they did, truly wanted things to be different when they got out, and truly wanted to make restitution and start anew. Every other one always did the, well, I know I'm wrong, but I wouldn't have done it if... Fill in the blank. Well, I know I shouldn't have done it, but if they wouldn't have done, fill in the blank. That's not restitution. I mean, that's like that fight you have with your spouse. Well, I wouldn't have yelled at you if you wouldn't have said this. 
No, that's not restitution. Restitution is I go and tell you, I'm wrong. This is what I'm done. I'm sorry for that. I leave my gift at the altar, Matthew 5, and I want to go make peace. My goodness, I hope as a body of Christ, if, if as we hear this teaching, there is that tinge of guilt in one of our hearts of I have wronged this person, I have wronged this situation, be it in the world or in the body, that we say, Lord, I do want to make restitution. I do want to make peace. I want Matthew 5 to happen. I want to leave my gift at the altar and go make it right. Because we don't want anything, anything within us in the body of Christ here to cause issues later on. Satan will take that. I mean, just as we just read there in Ephesians 4, where it says, do not give the enemy a foothold. Boy, Satan is so good at taking anger and bitterness and making that a foothold and destroying relationships and destroying issues. It's just not worth it. It's absolutely not worth it. And we all know this. Christ hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We should hopefully have that same heart too. Be quick to forgive and quick to say we're sorry. That's a picture of what the guilt trespass offering is. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about this before we go ahead and close up? Okay. So, putting these all together now, these five key sacrifices. Burn offering represents us giving our whole body over to the Lord. Everything is given to God except for the skin, if you remember correctly. God wants all of me, but he doesn't want my skin. He doesn't want my flesh. My flesh is sinful. God doesn't want it. He wants my inward parts. Inward parts that are washed. That's the burnt offering. Grain offering. Grain offering represents our service to God. It can be made numerous ways, which represents that each one of us will serve God in a different way. Problem is we always want somebody to serve the exact same way we do. We're all going to handle things differently. We'd all teach a passage differently. We'd all do this a little differently. But that's part of service. And God says with service, if you remember the grain offering in chapter 2, the person offering it didn't get anything back. That's service. I, don't, I, I just give it. I give and give and give. I'm not looking for something in return. Peace offering represented worship. I just offer this up to the Lord because I love him. And that's what worship is. I bring the sacrifice of praise, and I just want to offer us to God and worship. And remember with the peace offering, there was involvement with others, because worship is also supposed to be a corporate thing too. Hence, we have worship before we teach. Sin offering in chapter 4 is a wonderful picture of Christ. Key thing in sin offering was blood, blood, and more blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from all sins. Sin offering represents that. The uh, trespass offering here, the guilt offering, that shows us now making peace through Christ with others and making restitution what we've gone through. And this is an offering that's supposed to be a picture of us, once again, saying I'm sorry, but also saying you're forgiven. Restitution has been made, and that's the purpose of the trespass offering here and the guilt offering. So those five offerings represent a lot of different things there. Now, Leviticus is a long book, and I told you at the beginning that we're actually not going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Leviticus because we get into a lot of the law stuff. But there is, I believe, maybe another one or two nice little sacrifice offerings here in the middle of the book of Leviticus that we may get into. And I'm going to kind of reread through that through the week and kind of pray about it. And we may do just a one or two more teachings here on Leviticus to kind of go over what these offerings represent. And I hope through this study that when you now flip through the Old Testament, you don't look at it as dry and boring and what is it there for. These offerings all represent Christ. They all represent us and him also. And I hope tonight, if the only thing you got out of tonight is maybe there's someone you need to go to and say, I need to make restitution. I'm sorry. Or maybe there's someone in your heart that you need to say, I need to forgive them. Wow, that's being a picture of Christ. And that's what you want too. All right, any final things here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now. Lord, I pray that we would be 